In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome to Moving Forward. I am your host this week, Krista Nepper, and today I am joined by Welton Pitchford. Welton is an actor, a producer, a writer with a plethora of IMDb credits, and the creator of Quirk Me Over. So Welton, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, my friend. How are you? I am good. So let's get started. Tell us first about Quirk Me Over and the inspiration behind the show. Sure, sure. Hello, everyone. Hello to all your listeners. Um, Quirk Me Over is a brainchild, I guess, that lived in my head for not that long. Maybe I would say less than a year or so. You know, as, as an actor, you um, attend a great number of workshops and networking opportunities throughout the year with casting directors folks who hold the keys to uh, our success on television shows <laughs> and film and 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 that's live stage and such. And interestingly enough, I was telling a friend recently, I, I could do the same monologue or, or, or piece of theatrical business for, you know, I don't know, 10 casting directors and they all can give me 10 different notes. It's, you know, it's so subjective. What is good or bad or nuanced, et cetera. The one thing I kept hearing though at all the workshops I would attend and networking opportunities from casting directors is they said, stop chasing us, Ooh. create your own work. And we will find you. And so uh, I kept hearing that over and over again. And I'm not, um, I I appreciate you calling me a writer. And I I guess technically I I am, but writing doesn't come to me naturally. It's a process of kind of being in the the cave and, you know, shut all the noise to try to create some, some body of work. But I thought for a long time, what is it that I could produce on my own to get out there to create this own work? And it just came to me, just God given sense. And I created this concept called Quirk Me Over. I would say that it's a little bit of kind of, I guess, the Tonight Show uh, meets Saturday Night Live, perhaps meets Scandal, meets, meets, <laughs> meets Murder, She Wrote, meets Oprah's Next Chapter. No, it's, it's that talking head format uh, mixed with sketch comedy. And I found a, a lovely co-host, fellow actor, to help me in this endeavor. And we just shot show number six a few days ago. Uh, show five is actually up on, um, on YouTube, five shows already, and we are shooting our finale in a couple of weeks here. So um, been a, an awesome first season. Congratulations. Thank you. So when did you first know that you wanted to become an actor? The first time I realized that you could potentially make a living at this was maybe in high school, I would say. Okay. Um, had a drama teacher and uh, one of the, the best, uh, Sandra Roberts, and she uh, taught us high school dramatics, and she also was a working actor. And I think that was the first time I realized, oh, you could do this, and she had other, you know, irons and many fires as actors need to do. And so in high school was the time when I attached myself to musical theater and, and, the, and the musicals we do every year. And so I kind of got the bug, I guess, at that time, and that's when I realized, oh, they maybe could be something to that. Nice. I like that. It's interesting. So you didn't know earlier than that? Or was there anything that you were passionate about as a child? I know a lot of actors will say, oh, I know when I knew when I was five or seven or eight or something Mm. like that. So was there something, you know, back before that that you were passionate about that maybe translated into what you do today? Mm-hmm. Good question. I guess as an adolescent, I would grow up watching television. You know, we're all consumers of, of TV, and mm-hmm. the shows when I was little were, uh, you know, The Cosby Show and Family Ties and Family Matters and all those. Uh, Me too. Uh, great, yeah, <laughs> great, great shows. And watching the people on that show, were thinking, oh wow, that's something that could be interesting to do. I don't know if I translated into like this is what they do then for a living. I thought it seemed like more hobby esque. And of course, when you're an adolescent, you're not concerned about money and how you right. can make, you know, uh, what you could make. I guess uh, as 
an actor. My sister, I have a blood sister uh, who is eight years apart. I, I'm, I've always subscribed to uh, what Dr. Maya Angelou said, paraphrasing here. She says, I don't believe that the accident of birth makes people brothers and sisters. It makes them siblings. It gives them mutuality of parentage. She says brotherhood and sisterhood is a condition that people have to work at. And mm -hmm. so... While I have a blood sister who I love very dearly, I have people in my life who were not made from my parents and born from my mother, but they are siblings to me. So when I, I may use that term, sister or brother, kind of loosely, but I, right now I mean my my blood sister. We were eight years apart. She's eight years behind me in age, although I do joke uh, that we're she's catching up to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here, I will be twins next year. <laughs> and so uh, growing up, I was like an only child for many, many years because that that age gap. Yeah, and that's so there was a, yeah, it's so significant. There was so there was a lot of make believe quite often growing up and had imaginary friends and I would make believe I guess that would be young theater and put on little shows and those types of things that I think a lot of thespians at uh, young age do yeah. but uh, so I guess that was the passion and maybe it's where it kind of started like I remember when um, I was very young a musical called Dream Girls came out and my parents bought this album the album back then and this voice this powerhouse voice coming out of this woman named Jennifer Holiday was singing this gospel and my, they were explaining to me like it's a play it's a musical people on stage. Well, I think maybe then I kind of began to think, oh, wow, this is interesting. People can make a living from this and singing and acting and playing make-believe. So I guess that was a spark. And then it became more realistic in high school. And then uh, here I am now. That's great. I mean, and I know there's a leap too for any actor, or anybody that goes into a creative field or a creative endeavor. There's a lot of faith that goes into it because it's tough competition. So that leads me to my next question. Were you spiritual as a child? Yes, uh, I was very spiritual as a child and I'm still spiritual as an adult. Um, I am a PGK, a preacher's grandkid. Uh, <laughs> my mother is a PK. And so my grandfather was this preacher and, and uh, married a wonderfully Christian woman, my grandmother, and both my parents have uh, five siblings. And so religion has kind of trickled down on both sides, quite frankly. And so lots of cousins and aunties and uncles, etc. It was a big part of my uh, upbringing. My uh, blood sister and I both went to private school from K through 12, Christian schools. And so we moved around, I would say, in the five to 10 mile radius of the San Gabriel Valley, Azusa, West Covina, La Puente, uh, to be closer to schools and to kind of move up in the um, in the home market, as my parents were doing. And then actually, my first venture into a, a mainstream secular, if you will, institution was uh, college. And I, I purposely wanted to go to a non-Christian college just to like, I couldn't have the foresight to make a transition from being in the sheltered bubble to the real world. I don't think I really felt like I was missing anything from K through 12, but interesting, I, I did know that I was definitely protected, I would say, from inf information and, and uh, this the mainstream of the world. And of course, you go to college and you have down one hall, there's 50 different lifestyles. And I um, so appreciated that, just learning about just like, ah, you know, it was very eye-opening for me. Yeah. So how was that transition? Was it seamless? Was it difficult? There comes a time, I think, in every person's life, no matter what you believe in. And for me, it's Christianity. And I would imagine a lot of Christians, fellow Christians, probably can relate to this same connection. When you are raised in religion, it's just instilled in you. It's like if you were raised not to be religious. or You come to a time when you are an adult where you have to make your own decision about was I taught this as a child and I'm just absorbing this fallacy or this story of make-believe or do I really believe this? And I don't recall the day it happened or what have you. It wasn't that profound to me, but I do recall it being in around the early college time where I said, no, I, I was raised in this and I still believe this. 
always as an adult, I still subscribe. Okay. And so um, there was definitely some, I would say, some disconnect, I think, with trying to befriend people who didn't share my religion and all those different, like I said, lifestyles and faiths. And, and it was so wide ranging, of course, in, in, in college. But I wouldn't have traded that for anything in the world it, to have gone straight from my thing, for me personally, my story from a religious institution, let's say I'd gone to a, a Christian college into the real world, just would have been a huge eye opener. So I enjoyed it immensely. Okay. So let me ask you the Mm -hmm. next question then. So to you, what is the difference between spirituality and religion? If someone asks me uh, if I'm spiritual or religious, my default answer is always I'm religious. In the same breath, if I am talking to someone who is also religious and who also shares my same faith, I should say, I will explain to them that I'm probably more spiritual than I am religious. I don't necessarily subscribe to this, you're Methodist or you're Baptist or you're whatever this might be. Uh, I think that that's one of the tricks. I think that the devil is produces to make this seem, this religion, this Christian faith seem so complicated. I think at our core, I think we all are spiritual and connecting to something, whether it be even connecting to the universe or whoever you, you might want to believe. But I feel like if I say I'm spiritual to someone who necessarily does not believe, that's sometimes it's, it's translated into, oh, you don't really believe in God or all the tenets of the Trinity and all these things. So I am classically Christian. I, from my own self, I am spiritual in the sense that I don't subscribe to an actual denomination of faith. I would say to the, the traditional, your part in the term, the rigmarole of going through all the steps and dressing up in church every Sunday and for the three hours and all these things you do, but it doesn't dilute at all my connection to God. So you mentioned too, when you left for college, you had a period of, of growth and disconnect and reconnection, if you will. What was your transition from college and then into the profession of acting or Hollywood? And do you think there's a religious bias in Hollywood? I don't think that there is a religious base in, I'm using my air quotes here, Hollywood. In fact, I would say it's probably a lot more secular than religious. Um, and I'm not, I mean religious in, the, in every religion, quite frankly. I have a lot of friends in, again, my air quotes here, Hollywood, who are dear friends of mine. They're not Hollywood friends. They are, they are, these are some of my siblings. Uh, a majority, interestingly enough, of, of my friends in somewhere in the 90th percentile do not share my same faith. Uh, they are either agnostic or, or, or atheist or they are Buddhist. I, I don't know if there really is a need for Hollywood to have any attachment to any one type or uh, ideal of, of faith or belief system, quite frankly. And then making the transition into this career, it, I don't think it's greatly impacted what I do. I would say in my career, I, this has maybe happened two or three times times where I've come across a script that was presented to me or an I've had it to an audition that I've had to decline. One of the most recent and notable, I was uh, asked by a casting director who was casting the national tour of uh, Book of Mormon, which is actually a hilariously funny show. It is, um, yes. It is. I, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I have a raw sense of humor, and I also believe that God has a sense of humor. So I, I'm not offended by marks against my religion, against my race, against my gender, as long as you're equal opportunity with that. And this show <laughs> does that quite well. But I was uh, invited to audition for this uh, a significant role in, in the show, and this <laughs> the one song this gentleman saying was this just blasphemous assert uh, to, to God, to my to my God. And I kind of uh, use my mother often as a conciliar. She's like my counsel, if you will. And, and so we were discussing back and forth. I was like, there's an opportunity to go on tour and all these things and, and career. And I thought, even if I could have justified that for myself and to say, I'm taking myself out of that, I'm playing a character and yada, 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 to have gone on and really toured the country eight times a week and doing these shows, what would I be then presenting to the world? 
world? What am I representing? I mean, do I represent the entire Christian community? No, I don't. But to be on stage singing, really, I mean, there's was, there was some really blue words that were, you know, it's a blasphemous to my religion. So that's one time where I thought, oh, I've got to turn that down, unfortunately. But again, it's, it's so few and far between, I would even say it's more, if ever, uh, that's happening. Yeah, that's a real question of, in, in, I mean, integrity and, and tribute to you as far as sticking with what you believe. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think at the end, end of the day, one thing I think I, I've always done, not everyone has this, and for some reason I'm not sure this is some gift that I got early on in my life, is I I play the world of make-believe, so I, I lie for a living. You get a, you get a script and what have right. you. The one thing I, I've never done, I've never lied to myself. Even when I've been putting out into the world what I, I'm trying to be or trying to become or think someone might want from me, I have a friend who is uh, actually a very close friend, and she's in her 20s, and so we'd often joke, and she like she gets, I'm in my 20s, you're always trying to impress and all these things you're trying to do. And, and uh, through it all, though, when I was trying to pretend to be something that I wasn't, at home by myself, I knew, I, I didn't lie to myself about that. And so I think the one thing that I can fall back on is my integrity and to know who I am and kind of where I'm grounded. And I blame those good traits, I call them, on uh, my upbringing, being raised by my parents and my grandparents and the community that I call my family. Absolutely. Well, let me ask the next question then. It sounds like you did have a good upbringing, but what's the hardest thing that's happened to you and how did you overcome it? Uh, if I had to choose one thing, and I've actually had a pretty blessed life as well. I, in my uh, very late 20s, rolling into early 30s, I was facing bankruptcy. Uh, I had run up a lot of credit card debt in college. You got all these free credit cards. And I thought, oh, I'll charge it up now and I'll pay it later when I, when I grow up and I get a job, I'll pay it. And that was early 20s. And then, of course, late 20s come and you're like, huh. I've got a job, but I don't know. I'm, I I'm not a mathematician, but I'm not going to be able to make this payment ever on these cards here. And I was I had the choice of either filing for bankruptcy and walking away from my debt. I was speaking with the financial counselor. Or I made the choice to own up to my responsibility because I thought I, I couldn't blame that. And even like I wasn't married and the wife ran off my money or right. something else. I, I invested in something else and then he took it. It was all my debt, all things that I signed. And so, yes, am I, am I paying $88 for that enchilada I had eight years ago? Yes. But uh, when you attack on late charges and, and late fees and all that good stuff. And, and uh, but it was my debt. And so I got a job on the weekend. I was working a full-time job, eight to five, and I got a job on the weekends. And for three years, I worked seven days a week. I had a maybe day off here. Or there. In fact, I, my friends threw for me a 30th birthday party, and I was actually late to my own birthday party because I was working on the weekend wow. um, at an Italian restaurant chain. But it was important to me to pay that off. And I, for three years, I, I put the money towards a consolidation program and paid off the debt. And I've now since been debt free from that experience. So that even now when I get like a little bit of balance on a credit card, it makes me nervous because I'm, I'm just I, I come from that whole school of thinking if I can't think anymore that I'll, 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 I'll pay it off when I get older because you know, I'm here now, you know, this life is happening now. So that taught me financial responsibility comes in handy for all of us. And I think that's <laughs> a story that anyone can relate to. I know I have also paid $88 for an enchilada, unfortunately. <laughs> sure, sure. And yeah, a lot of people in their 20s. And I do remember the solicitors on my college campus and mm -hmm. thinking, I will get a job. I'll be rich. It will be fine. Of course. And it isn't. That's, that's a really hard lesson to learn, but well done you. 
It is. Ironically, my parents, they are masters with money. They spent uh, 34 and 35 years, I believe it is, at their jobs. Um, they worked at the same company for the most part throughout their entire career. And they're retiring now or retired now and they travel and the world and, and, uh, and do their own thing. But they've always had a good uh, brain and mind about money. And so it's interesting that I got kind of this weird or Johnny come lately sense about, uh, about income. I do think that when you're in your 20s, though, and it, it, it couldn't have happened to me in my 30s or wherever this is. It has to it had had to have happened in that time period. We all think, most of us, that we are invincible, right? Yes. I was just thinking that. that, yeah. I think about the crazy things you do. Yes. I think I thought it'll take care of itself. And then you wake up, hmm. Not so much. <laughs> Not so much, yeah. Well, and it's lucky that it was just a detour. It's funny that you say that because I think so many of us, you know, financial astuteness is something that should be taught in school, in my mind. And, you know, mm. you mentioned you did have good parents and a good example. But unless you have that, and not everyone does, mm. it's it's one of the more difficult things to learn. I would agree. I would yeah. agree. Yeah. Wow. That also yeah. speaks very highly to your integrity. So a nice example. I like that. Thank you. Hey, Moving Forward listeners. If you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. Continuing with the little bit of the darker questions, when did you fail, but it changed everything for the better? What is the song Whitney Houston sings? For every win, someone must fail. And so mm -hmm. I guess the only many failures I guess I have would be auditioning. You're up for a part, especially when it lingers on as callbacks and then producer callbacks and, and, and the chemistry tests and all these things. And then there's a winner. And then all the other, I guess, failures per, uh, or losers, if you will. I would say on an ongoing basis, I guess I'm failing for all the auditions I'm not getting uh, like any actor is. But something I learned many years ago through an acting coach was it's not your job to book the role. Booking the role is is so much out of your control. And once you as an actor, you understand that, then you can kind of go into like, oh, I got it. Uh, obviously, that's the gravy, but you want to book the room. You want to walk into the room, make the good impression, show your good work. No one forgets. This is a common adage in our acting community, but no one forgets a good audition. And so I can go in for a role. I may not, I may be too short, too tall, too fat, too skinny, too black, not black enough, whatever it might be. But if I deliver a good performance, they remember that. And I've been called back in from many cash directors over the years and booked some roles with them that, that were different than the ones I originally uh, went out for. So I guess it's those times when you're searching for something. That can, even the longer it goes, we go through so many auditions. And so you, you'll you know, and they'll do four or five in a week and then you forget about them. It's when they call you back and then they call you back with the same thing. And then you're like, oh, you start to, and then we do uh, what all actors do. We start to spend the money in our minds. Mm -hmm. Oh, and if I had this job, that's what I would do. And, and uh, uh, a buddy of mine uh, just booked, well, in the last several months, uh, a national campaign for a very well-known office supply store. And uh, he went through a number of auditions. And it, it, he said, in the, in the umpteenth one, he was just like, I don't care anymore. I mean, if I get it, if I don't get it, whoever it was, you just somebody just get it. Somebody just cast someone, and he ended up getting it. But the longer the process, the more you think you failed. Again, I don't think about it that way. I think the longer I'm in the room, and the longer they want me back, and the more they they recognize my good talent, and just a matter of uh, matching me with the right role. 
I think that answer is so relatable to everyone who's ever gone in for a job or who has mm. ever dated or there's so many different scenarios where that mm. plays out because you feel as though you may fail in little ways every day, but it's the lesson that you take away from that. And you had mentioned earlier, you learned to stop chasing us. And out of that came this amazing web series. And in every one of these instances, you've cultivated relationships with the casting director when that has been permissible. And so that has paid off in the end. It certainly has. Yeah, speak on it. Yeah, I love that. So what advice would you give to a young person interested in becoming an actor? You have to learn a lot of things. But one thing I, I learned for me that helps is to separate myself from any role that I'm playing. It's knowing who I am again in the mirror. When I'm at home by myself looking in the mirror, this is who Welton is. And then no matter what I'm cast as, it, it, it doesn't miss. Again, as long as it's following my, my line of integrity, uh, it shouldn't matter. I think we all want to be beautiful and, and you know, the leading man and the woman and the, the greatest shape and the flawless skin and all these things. But not all of us are like that. And I'm not the leading man in, in the traditional sense type. And so there are certain types of roles I know I play very well and they're not who I am personally, but I play them well and I get paid to play them well. So it's, I'm going to hop on board with that. So I think that's the biggest thing. And it's hardest when you are more of a character type actor. I'm not a, considered a character actor, but if you're a character actor, which is that typically you are, you have an interesting look about you. You've got big ears or big lips or big booty, or you, you're, you're, you know, you're overweight or you're really, really skinny or whatever, you're pale or what have you. Those times when it's hard for sometimes actors who are not secure in themselves to be able to play those roles and, and, to, and to chart out that career. Another buddy of mine, he's shorter than average for a guy, and he has kind of big ears, you know, he says, and interesting look. He's a character actor, and he works all the time because he capitalized on what it is that he looks like there. So that's my, that'd be my pieces of advice to those who are starting out. Another is to have your irons um, in many fires. You can't always focus on your acting career. Not everybody has the Ashton Kutcher career. You come out and, you know, do first audition, and then you get cast in the show, and then there it goes. Not everyone has the Betty White career, where you work on a show from show to show to show. Most actors do not work in, from year after year. They're reporting losses to the IRS every year. There's a small percentage of actors that you even see on television shows over and over again. Is that because there's only, I don't know, 45 actors in the community? No, there's not. But, you know, that's just <laughs> the nature of the beast, unfortunately. It's a matter of getting your foot in that door and becoming part of that inner circle. So when you are in the valleys of your career, which is often when you're an actor, you have to have other avenues to release yourself whether it be a good support group and also financial uh, support as well, whether it be right. another a career you have or a job or you're married to somebody rich um, or whatever. <laughs> right? You got to trust Wouldn't fund. we all prefer that? <laughs> we all prefer that, quite frankly, right? And so you have to have those things because I, I've seen it happen where people get so, you're, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to starve and be an actor. And it sounds good when you say I'm going to be a starving actor. But when you're starving as an actor, that's not so good. The umpteenth day of eating noodles and butter, yeah, it kind of wears on you. Uh, for me personally, I knew I never wanted to do that. I knew that I wanted to have this job, but I also didn't want to look up and go, oh, I missed out on my whatever this time my period of my life I didn't go to that wedding or that those trips or all these things and and I want to I, I want to live where I want to live on I want to drive what I want to drive and and date who I want to date do all these wonderful things and and also manage an acting career so for me the balance of that has been has been great finding me a job that allows you to be able to come and go to auditions and, and bookings and all that good stuff and so and the last thing I, I probably would say I, I can go on forever for this but if you don't love this business and all of the business 
business. It's not called show business. I say it's, it's called business show. If you don't love the business of the show, then leave. Do something else because it's much easier. You'll make a lot more money doing that. Dust off your degree and go get a corner office somewhere in any company USA and make $200,000 a year and have a family, white picket fence, et cetera. It, it, it's, you should only do this job if you, just, if you can't do anything else, if it, just, if it fuels you so much. And not everyone needs to be on Broadway or needs to be on the next scandal or whatever it might be. My sister friend makes uh, a nice career out of doing regional theater. She plays leads, is a wonderful singing voice, and it's finding about where your niche is and where what makes you the most happy. Yeah, I mean, happiness is important in any career, and why wake up in the morning if you don't have that? But I like the other ones, too. Know thyself and mm. diversify. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So speaking of knowing thyself... What is it that you do best? And this is an inch wide and a mile deep. This is where you get to brag to us. I know that I am a good actor. I can take a role. I can nuance it. I can deliver a, a performance that brings the viewer in based on what I feel, what I watch, what I consume uh, uh, as, a, as a consumer of watching people perform and the feedback I've received. I've um, also a creative person when it comes to, I would say, design and decor. I have a knack for looking at something quickly, kind of pulling it together. Uh, probably something else I kind of do well, which helps, quite frankly, when you are uh, producing. I would say those are probably the two things that I I, I would say offhand that I just know that I can do it at 2 a.m. Right. Uh, any given time. I like that. It's so interesting to me how for a lot of people, creativity really can jump every boundary. It can go from art to um, mm. theater to song to dance to mm -hmm. so many different categories. Yeah, I don't know. What came first, chicken or egg? What was, I, was I an actor and then I be became then creative or was I always creative and then I became an actor? I'd say I would probably say the latter is more true. I, I remember as a uh, child making crafty things out of whatever. I think I, I made a, um, my friends would listen to this, they would probably uh, uh, scream right now, say it, say it. I, <laughs> I, I, I made this choir. It was, it was called the International Angelic Choir. Uh, when I was in probably high school, I would say, and it went into early college, and I, I basically took juice bottles and construction paper and ribbon and felt and made the 75-member international choir, styrofoam heads, and I painted them, and, and they had different hair color and eye color and all these things. I had instruments I'd made out of styrofoam and cardboard, and it was a, um, a Christmas thing, and I'd put up on my... Uh, parents' dining room table every year for Christmas. <laughs> this was just my my outlet to be creative and to kind of create this production. And interestingly enough, years later when I, I worked for uh, Disney for I don't know, about a dozen years or so, and I had to, it was often called upon to kind of create something out of nothing. I love that. An outlet for everything. There you go. <laughs> well, Welton, if any of our listeners wanted to learn more about you and your work, how would they connect with you? Are you available on social media? I am available on social media. At Welton Works is my Instagram name or Twitter name. And um, on Facebook, under Welton Pitchford. Welton Pitchford or at Welton Works. And the show is released, is it every two weeks? Is that correct? Every other week, yes. Every, every other, other Sunday, yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. And once more, listeners, the name of the show is Quirk Me Over. Welton, thank you again. Thank you. And listeners, did you like this podcast? If so, rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks for joining us today. I am Kristen Nepper. Good night and Sat Nam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.